0: Forgiveness is a difficult thing, but it's also a necessary thing. Today, Chris walks us through the heart of Joseph as he comes face to face with his brothers and gives us direction on what biblical forgiveness looks like. Here's Chris. Well, good morning. How are y'all? Good? All right, excellent. We're gonna have some fun today uh, on a topic that may or may not be easy for you. Excuse me. It's not going to be easy for me, obviously. Um, We are in our series in Genesis. This is week 41. We're in chapter 45. So if you have a Bible, open up. And uh, we just, uh, if you're new with us, we cruise through a book at a time, or at least that's what we've been doing most recently. And so we're going through the book of Genesis and we find out out that when we open God's word and invite him to speak to us, he does. And he speaks right to where we live. He gives us practical application for our lives. And today maybe the most practical application you will ever have. Uh, What we find in today's passage is what I consider the number one theme in Scripture. Top two or three anyway, I think it's number one, and it's the theme of forgiveness. And without forgiveness, we're screwed, right? We don't have a hope for forgiveness. And God, if you're a follower of his, he asks you to receive forgiveness, but he also asks you to what? What? Giving forgiveness as well, and uh, receiving is easier than than giving, uh, especially if you've been wounded deeply. Anybody ever been wounded deeply? Anyone? Okay, we got three people who've been wounded deeply. All right, excellent. And um, yeah, when you've been really hurt, really hurt, it is hard to forgive, isn't it? Because it hurts and it, and it lingers, and and you're not feeling it. And we're going to unpack all of that today. Um, But it's easier said than done. Now, Joseph, we're in the life of Joseph. We're in that part of Genesis where we're looking at this guy named Joseph. He's got a lot of reasons not to forgive. When he was 17 years old, his brothers were plotting to kill him. He knew that, so they wanted to kill him. Uh, his, His brother... Judas steps up and goes, let's not kill him, let's make money on him and sell him into slavery. So they sell him to some slave traders. They take him 250 miles away to Egypt where he is sold as a slave. He lives in slavery for a year or two. Then he's falsely accused of something that he didn't do and he's put in jail. He lives in a dungeon for the next 10 years, hopeless, wondering if he's just gonna, and what, what day he's gonna die in, in prison. And then he is uh, miraculously released uh, and promoted in the Pharaoh's uh, house. And the Pharaoh literally promotes him to the number two guy in the whole country. So he goes from the very bottom of society to the very top of their culture, the Egyptian culture. He's still a Hebrew. He's not a an Egyptian, but he learns how to walk like an Egyptian, we've talked about that for a couple of weeks, and talk, and, and, and he, he thrives then in their, their culture. In so doing, he saves the nation of Egypt, um, and as we'll see, he saves his family, right? Does he have a reason to not forgive his brothers? Say Yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. His brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. He ends up in prison. He suffers, I mean suffers, for 12, 13 years before he's eventually promoted, and that has nothing to do with them. And so his brothers are forced to come down and get food during this famine because Joseph saved up food. They end up in front of him. He's testing them back and forth. They come down for a second trip. And this is when he reveals himself to them. They don't know that they're in front of their brother. Um, And that's where we're going to pick up. In Genesis chapter 45 verse 1 it says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So he's having this emotional almost breakdown, this emotional release, 22 years of of not having his family around him, even though this part of his family, these brothers had betrayed him and treated him wrong, he is still emotionally overcome in the moment, so much so that he is weeping so loud that people out in the lobby, people out in the the outer rooms can hear what's going on. They report it to the Pharaoh because, of course, Joseph is very close to the Pharaoh. Something's going on. And then then in verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They're tongue tied. They have not a word to say to to Joseph because they think they are dead. The last thing they remember is Joseph kind of hanging over the back of a donkey or a camel going, What are you doing? And, and, and it's been 22 years. He's got all the power in the world. I mean, he's one of the most powerful people on the planet at this point. And they are his enemies as far as they understand. And their life flashes before their eyes. You ever have your life flash before your eyes? Back in, in 2004, Christy and I were driving up to upstate New York to visit her family. And as we were going through Erie, Pennsylvania, I'll never for, I'll never forget it. My life flashed before my eyes. Um on the rumble strip on the other side of the, the highway, this car was coming down the rumble strip. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And it was really fast. And, we're, you know, we're cruising 75 miles an hour in, in our lane, passing somebody. And, uh, and so uh, this car comes down into the median, up the other side, up the other bank like a ramp, and then flies through the air and turns on its side and it's coming straight at us. So this is the, the roof of that car. We're 75 miles an hour. He's flying through the air like this, and we impact. All, right. all of that took about a second and a half to happen. But in my mind, it was like five minutes. I mean, my whole life flashed before my eyes. The whole thing, I'm watching it frame by frame happening. I'm thinking, well, I've been married for five years or four years. It's been a pretty good run, but we're dead. You know, I mean, I had time to think of all of this, think of of all the good things that happened in my life, all in that flash of a second. It was like (gasps) my life flashed before my eyes. I think these guys are having a similar experience. They're like, oh, my God. the, the, The whole picture of everything that's happened over the years, the guilt that they've carried, everything else. And then Joseph breaks the moment, right? It probably wasn't that long. He he says to them, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Do you have your Bible out or your, your Bible app open? Highlight or underline that line because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God was up to something bigger. Joseph can see this in retrospect. In the middle of the the dungeon, he could not see that, but now he can see it. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. In other words, nobody's growing anything for the next five years. If you don't have five years' worth of food, you're going to starve to death. But God sent me ahead of you. There he is again, looking back on what has happened and going, look, this is what God has done. To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. You ever had one of those experiences where you've been through a really hard patch in life and you're like, man, this this is terrible. I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this. My heart is heavy, nah, it's, ah, it's just awful. And then you get to the other side and you look back and you go, oh, okay, God, I can see what you were up to. Like, like that's where the roots went deep. That's where I learned to learn that, that my identity isn't found in, in whatever it is that I'm pursuing, but it's found in you. This is where you prepared me for this. And you can look back and you can see what God was up to, but you couldn't see it in the moment anybody ever been there? Yeah, that's the way life works, right? And God is, God is always up to something. He's always doing something in the midst of that. But when we can see it, it makes it a lot easier to forgive. I think that's part of what Joseph is dealing with here. It's much easier to forgive when we can look back. In retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty. And what looks like in the moment a personal tragedy turns out to be a triumph, turns out to be preparation, turns out to be God was up to something that I couldn't have seen from the other side, right? (laughs) Now the trick is getting that in our head while it's going on because we can often see that God has been up, up to work and up to something looking back, can't we? But faith, mature faith, the kind of faith that gives us peace that passes understanding knows that God is always at work even before we can see what he's up to. It's trusting that, oh, I can't see it from where I'm standing right now. And maybe I will in five years or 10 years, or maybe when I get to heaven, I'll see what God was up to. But I know that God is good and I know that he is up to something now and I'm going to choose to live like that and trust in that. That's powerful, guys. That's life transforming faith. And it gives you the capacity to be able to forgive even in the midst of the struggle. Our memory verse for this week... We don't always have a memory verse, but I will in, from time to time encourage you to memorize Scripture. And I encourage you to write this down on a piece of paper and carry it with you all week until you have it memorized, if you don't already have it memorized. It's Romans 8:28, And it is this truth and this promise. And it says this, and we know that in all things, we know that in all things, what things? All things, everything, <laughs> in every situation we find ourselves in, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now here's what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. Joseph in slavery, that wasn't good. Joseph in, in the dungeon, that's not a good situation. You're go, go, have, are or will go through things that are not good in this life. That's just the reality of living on a, a fallen, broken planet. But in the midst of those things, God is at work. God is working all things to good. Now, you can choose to live that way after you've been through the hard things, or you can choose to live that way in the middle of the hard things. And the peace that passes understanding that Scripture teaches us about and the ability to live above the circumstances we find ourselves in come in rooting our faith in this truth and in God's goodness. And then we can rise above the situation and choose to forgive in the midst of it rather than waiting 22 years. Does that make sense? All right. Well, in verse 8, Joseph goes on and he's talking about God here. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Joseph's been put in charge of everything for the Pharaoh. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. I think that's, a, that's an understatement. Probably won't survive. There's nothing growing in the land of Canaan. They have five years to get through, and I guarantee they don't have five years' worth of food. So what does Joseph do here? He forgives his brothers. He extends forgiveness to his brothers. And not just forgiveness, but now he's going to rescue them He's going to bless them. He is going to offer them blessings beyond what they could have hoped for. It's kind of of a crazy kind of forgiveness given all that he's been through, right? What I want to spend the rest of our time on today is looking at what biblical forgiveness is. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness, We've, we've taken bumper stickers and Christian cliches, and, 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 and we've applied it to our theology of forgiveness, and it makes forgiveness very difficult. And what I would like to do is talk about what forgiveness is not. I think that's going to be very important. And then talk about what forgiveness is. And then I'm going to challenge every one of us to forgive, because it's in forgiveness that we find freedom. Um. You know, forgiveness is kind of nuanced, it really is. the, The Bible was written in Hebrew, the part we're reading now was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And there are words in Hebrew and there are words in Greek that don't directly translate to words in English. And so there's some nuances about, you know, we'll read the English version and we'll go, well, yeah, that's it, like, forgive and forget, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Where does that come from? There's these nuances that then we turn into a bumper sticker or or something for the refrigerator and and we're like, all of a sudden we have this concept that isn't even really biblical. And so I want to clear some of that up. Um, Here's what I know though. Some of us today, this is a hard message because you are wrestling with this issue. You have been deeply wounded. You have been hurt in ways that are unspeakable, or maybe they're speakable, but they just hurt really bad. And the thought of forgiving the person who has hurt you is overwhelming. And so this message is for you. Um, But here's the other thing that I know. There are some of us that aren't, but you will or you're walking with family members who are, or friends who are, and you need to have a solid biblical understanding of what forgiveness is so that you can help them walk through forgiveness and in to freedom. All right. So what is biblical forgiveness? More importantly, we're going to start with what biblical forgiveness is not. Are you ready? I encourage you to take out your notes and... uh, And write some things down. And here's what we got. Biblical forgiveness is not letting go of small offenses. It's not letting go of small offenses. Guys, we are the most easily offended people in the world. It's like a cultural norm now, right? We live in a social media cage match where one person says one thing that that you don't agree with and all of a sudden we just pile on and attack each other and that's just part of life. We get our feelings hurt so easy. Biblical forgiveness is not letting go of small offenses. You know what letting go of small offenses is? It's maturity. It's called being an adult, Because people are going to offend you in small little ways along the way. It's part of life because you're a human being, they're a human being, we forget, we say things that we wish we hadn't said, they say things that they wish they hadn't said, and we turn it into a big issue. If you turn it into a big issue and that's a big thing to forgive, good luck when the big things come along. Letting go of small offenses is maturity. It's called growing a thicker skin. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over, over the recent years where, where, you know, the conversation goes like this. Well, he yelled at me. Did he raise his voice? Yeah. Really? I think so. The reason I know this is because I've experienced it myself. I didn't raise my voice. It's called constructive criticism, but, but it's heard through the lens of yelling, right? We get so easily offended that we can't even take constructive criticism anymore. We need to be able to overlook the small stuff, to let it go. Water off the duck's back, so to speak. It's not forgiveness, that is maturity and your power your integrity your honor is not shown by your ability to get even it's shown by your ability to overlook the small stuff it really is we've got to be able to do this In proverbs 19:11 says this a person's wisdom yields patience it is to one's glory to what overlook an offense Let the small stuff go. I mean, and and most of the time, those small offenses, they aren't even intentional. Sometimes they are, but usually not. Usually somebody forgot to mention us when they were thanking people or forgot to put our name on the list to be invited to the party. and, and, And all of a sudden, we get all kind of worked up and wrapped around the axle because they didn't invite me. Like, really? It's a party. Get over. So many people planning weddings right now, you're all going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Life is too short to sweat the small stuff. Ecclesiastes seven twenty-one and 22, do not pay attention to every word people say. Boy, I could preach for days on that one. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. What, what the Scripture is saying is, look, we say dumb stuff because we're human beings, and other people say dumb stuff because they're human beings. And, and you have things that you wish you hadn't said retrospectively? Absolutely you do. So do they. And you can choose to get all tied in knots about it, or you can let it go. Don't listen to every word. Don't take everything personally. Stuff happens. We're human beings. Now, it's not an encouragement to to say negative things or or, or intentionally hurt other people. It's just the reality that it happens and we got to let it go. And that we do the same thing we have done the same thing. But here's the problem, guys. If we get all tied in knots about the small stuff, then when the big stuff comes, you're not going to be able to forgive. And the big stuff will come. Let me encourage you to build the habit of forgiveness now with the small stuff. Build the habit of forgiveness now with the small stuff by letting the small stuff go. You can choose to do that. It's it's something you have control over. Now, there are some of us that because of our family family Our family temperament, you know, this gets handed down like, you've all heard about the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Somebody thought that somebody stole a pig and all of a sudden there's dead people all over Appalachia because it's like, well, we're going to fight, I'm going to get on, you know. And it's like, just let the small stuff go. It doesn't have to escalate. into. But we have to build the habit of forgiveness. And this is where we do it, with the small stuff. Does that make sense? Good, let's move on. Two, biblical forgiveness is not forgetting. This is the the bumper sticker thing, forgive and forget. I can't forget. They hurt me so badly. Yeah, you probably won't forget. Biblical forgiveness is not amnesia. You probably will never forget what's been done to you, especially if it was significant. And it's not pretending that it never happened. Okay. Now I know where we get this because you know, when God forgives us, he 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 doesn't remember our sins anymore. Right, Jeremiah 31:34? For I will forgive their wickedness. He's speaking to the the children of Israel, for I will give their forgive their wickedness and I will what? Remember their sins no more. So God doesn't remember our sins anymore. Well, God doesn't have amnesia, guys. I mean, the sins of the Israelites are well spelled out in Scripture. God just needs to go back and read the Bible, and then He would, you know, He would remember again. No, God doesn't have amnesia. He totally remembers what they have done, what we have done. The biblical concept of, of remembering is turning our attention towards something and turning our attention away from something. In Genesis 8-1, we see this, we see an example of this with Noah, it says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. So, did God forget Noah? Oh, did, did I leave the water on when I left the house? Oh, i got to go home. He remembered. No, no. He turned his attention to Noah after that period of time in the ark. He turns his attention back towards Noah and he takes care of the next thing that needs to happen. God turns his attention towards. He remembers our sin, but he turns his attention away from our sin and towards our future. He, turn, he looks at us not through the lens of our sin, but through the lens of the righteousness of Christ when we are in Christ, right? It's not that he has amnesia. So we think a lot of times, I talk to Christians all the time, like I just can't forget, so I'm not going to forgive. You're probably never going to forget. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking your attention off of the offense and putting it on the future that you can have with that person, putting it on the grace that God has given you. I hope that helps because some of us are stuck on that point. Don't confuse forgiveness with amnesia. It's not. Third thing, biblical forgiveness is not the removal of practical consequences. So often I'll talk to people and they're like, I can't forget them because I don't want to let them off the hook. I can't forgive them because I don't want to let them off the hook. Like You being bitter and all tied in knots in your heart somehow holds them accountable. Um, It doesn't. It doesn't. And you know what? There are practical consequences that we have to live with when we make dumb decisions along the way. You know, prisoners come to faith in Jesus in in prison all the time. They still have to live out their, their sentence. In prison I'll talk to, to couples who married couples who will have a betrayal, right? Or maybe with finances, maybe in the fidelity of the relationship or in, in some other area in the relationship, and they'll come back together and they'll apologize and they'll forgive one another. but inevitably the person who has done the harm will say it's, it's not like it used to be. Well, of course, it's not like it used to be. It's gonna take time. There's a practical consequence to the betrayal of trust. You have to rebuild trust. So we think it just goes, you know, we want things just to go back to the way that they were. Things are not the way they were. A lot of times there are. There are other consequences we have to deal with. I, I, you know, several weeks ago, Myron referenced the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 12, where David has an affair with, with Bathsheba and impregnates her. And then when he finds out she's pregnant, has her husband killed. And then eventually he's confronted by Nathan the prophet. And when he's confronted, he owns it and he repents and he asks for forgiveness. And Nathan says, You're forgiven. But. This baby's not going to live, and your family is going to be a hot mess because of all of this. There are practical consequences. You forgiving somebody doesn't mean that they don't have to live with practical consequences of what, what they've done. You can forgive, and they can still live with the consequences. I can forgive you and still call the police. I can forgive you and I can set boundaries in the relationship. I can forgive you, but you will never be around kids again unsupervised. Several years ago, many years ago now, we had a guy show up at church. He moved to town, came up to me after church one day and said, hey, I'm new to town. I love Jesus. He's changed my life, but I'm a registered sex offender. Can I come to church here? Because I've been run out of a bunch of churches. And I said to him, I said, absolutely, you can come to church here and you'll be loved and you'll be accepted, but you will never be allowed down the children's wing. You will never be allowed alone with children in this church, ever, because there are practical consequences to what you've done. And that is true in your life as well, in your relationship with people. Now, it's not up to you to enforce the practical consequences, but... But, uh, you know, as, as revenge, don't want to do that and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it's not letting people off the hook. Fourth thing, biblical forgiveness does not mean trust. Trust has to be rebuilt. Trust has to be rebuilt. Forgiveness lets you start over again. This goes back to that married couple, right? Forgiveness lets you start over again to rebuild the relationship. And if you are in a situation where trust has been betrayed and you're in a married relationship, let me challenge you, encourage you, plead with you to rebuild trust, to fight for the relationship. It is worth saving and you can get past that. But it doesn't mean that we're just going to pretend it never happened and we just start where we were. No, forgiveness gives us the ability to start over. doesn't put us back where we were. Fifth, biblical forgiveness does not not mean letting someone hurt you. Again, it's not pretending that it never happened and so that they can just do what they did again and again and again and again. You know what that's called? That's called enablement. It's called codependency. It's called unhealthy. We do not just open ourselves without any boundaries to be hurt again and again and again. Now, as trust is rebuilt, those boundaries can move and become less restrictive, but you can forgive and set boundaries. You can forgive and still go to court or protect yourself and your kids. (sighs) Number six. Sixth thing, biblical forgiveness is not. It does not necessarily mean having a great relationship. I mean, I, I, I hope that's the goal. As much as it depends on you, that we, you would long for or at least work towards rebuilding a great relationship, but it doesn't 100% depend on you, does it? And you can forgive somebody and not have a great relationship with them. That's possible. Because forgiveness is what's going on inside of you, not what's going on inside of them. So then, what is biblical forgiveness? Well, biblical forgiveness is, first, refusing to seek revenge and refusing to be consumed by a past wrong. It's letting it go. I'm not going to... I'm not, I don't have a need to get even, I don't have a need to seek retribution, I'm going to let that go and I don't need to be consumed with in my mind thinking about it over and over and over again. And we think somehow if we do that, that it hurts the other person, all it does is make you sick. So we decide, I'm not going to slander, I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to ruminate on this. Does anybody do you know where the word ruminate comes from? It comes from cows. Cows are very thoughtful creatures. No, I'm just kidding. Cows, cows eat grass and then miraculously turn them into turns grass into steak. I love that. <laughs> it's a miracle. Praise God for ribeyes. Um, I mean, isn't that amazing? But, but but what they do is they eat grass, they chew it up, they swallow it, and then it, it kind of ferments in their stomach and then, this is gross, so they spit it back up again. It's called chewing the cud and they chew on it again and it goes down. To, they've got four stomachs. This happens four times. And so, but they just, same bit of grass over and over and over again. And we do, we ruminate, they're called ruminants, all the four, you know, four stomach creatures that eat grass, ruminants. So, but we do this mentally, you know. We, we, we get hurt and we pull it back up again and we think about it over and over and over and then it comes back and then we kick it, and kick it back up and we think about it and it just spins around in our head nonstop. Biblical forgiveness is refusing to seek revenge or be consumed with a past wrong. In Romans 12 verse seventeen. It says this: Do not repay who anyone. Who's anyone? Anyone, right? Yes, yeah, that's, that's actually really straightforward. Do, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, live above the fray, take the high road, do the right thing. If it is possible, as as far as it depends on you, it's not always possible, okay? I just want to be clear about that. That's not always possible, but it was when it is possible and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord." Leave room for God to get even. He's better at it than you are. And here's, here's why. You don't know what the big story is. You don't know what's going on inside of them. Of course, you have it all written in your head, but you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know where God is leading them. Give God room to do what God needs to do in their life. And if it's revenge, it'll be revenge, and it'll be better than what you can come up with. Or maybe, just maybe... He's going to save them and you're going to have a new brother or sister in the Lord. And that happens a lot too, and that's a win. But it's up to God, it's not up to you. Leave room for God to do what God does. On the contrary, he goes on, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I love that. Paul's like, yeah, get him. (laughs) No, and kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. They're not going to know what to do with that. It's going to, they're going to be so off kilter because they're just not going to know where to put that. It's going to bug them, especially if they're malicious. And then in 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Biblical forgiveness, number two. What is biblical forgiveness? Biblical forgiveness is a decision that often becomes a feeling over time. Chances are you will not be feeling like forgiving them on the front end. We decide to forgive. And if we can decide to forgive, the feeling often follows Warm fuzzies are not a prerequisite for forgiving somebody. Jesus says, love your enemies. You're never going to feel like loving your enemies. That's a decision. And here's why. Because you can't control your feelings. You do not have control over your feelings. You can control what you do with your feelings, but you do not have control over what you're feeling. You just don't. You can try to but they'll just pop up because they're feelings. Now, here's the problem with this and, and, and the pushback, because we are a culture that is defined by, driven by our feelings, aren't we? I, whatever I feel is truth for me. That's a bunch of bunk, by the way. That's not how it works. But that's kind of like the cultural undercurrents that we swim in. And so some of us have kind of bought into that. So the thought of choosing to forgive somebody when I'm not feeling like forgiving them, well, that seems like a violation of who I am. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, folks, to be a hypocrite is to say, I'm, I'm this, I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm, I'm religious, I'm this, and then have a, a secondary life, a secret life that you're living. That's a hypocrite, right? A hypocrite isn't somebody who chooses to do the right thing even though they're not feeling it. No, when we choose to forgive, even when we don't feel like forgiving, that's obedience. That's maturity. That's wisdom. And it is a decision. And the greatest acts of love in our life are the things that we choose to do even when we're not feeling it. I'm choosing to stay married to you even though I'm not feeling it right now. And what what usually happens in that situation is you get past whatever hard part you're in in the relationship and you get to the really good stuff. Our greatest acts of love for our kids, for our spouses... Or when we choose to do the things we don't feel like doing, but they're loving. It's called sacrificial love. I guarantee Jesus did not feel like going to the cross the night before he was crucified. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood because he's under such distress asking God for a different plan. He doesn't feel like going to the cross. But he chose to. He chose to. It's sacrificial love love. It's not hypocrisy. Please understand this. And what happens is over time, God changes our feelings. The Holy Spirit works within us when we give him permission to. And our feelings will come along. And it might take a day. It might take a week. It might take years. But the feelings will follow. The feelings will follow. See, the feelings are the caboose. The obedience is the engine we choose to forgive. And I mean, it might be, like I said, getting up every day and going, okay, God, I choose to forgive again today. All right, third thing that biblical forgiveness is is it's not optional. I know, that's kind of wonky, but it is, it's true. Biblical forgiveness is not optional. When Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray, He said, God, forgive our, what, trespasses, debts, depending on what tradition, faith tradition you come from, but really it's sins. God, forgive my sins, forgive our sins, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Right. In the way that we have forgiven or in the way that I have forgiven them, would you forgive me? It's it's proportional. The measure we use, He measures to us. I hope this encourages you to be forgiving because if I know one thing about you, you need God's forgiveness. And Jesus makes it absolutely clear in, in verse 14 of Matthew 6. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like, that's heavy. That's heavy. Those are the heavy Jesus words. It's not optional. We cannot walk around as bitter, unforgiving people and claim to be followers of Jesus because we're not following Him at that point. And the power of forgiveness is freedom for your soul. It's God's desire for freedom for you. He doesn't want you walking around imprisoned by bitterness. He knows better than anybody else because he made us that it causes us to implode emotionally, spiritually. Ultimately, it manifests physically. In illness, the stress of bitterness will cause your immune system to, to just spiral over time. It will, it will cause ulcers and make you a really hard person to be around, and it ultimately it will it'll kill your relationships because it's hard to have a positive, life-giving relationship with a bitter person. God asks us to do this for our own good as much as anything else. Most of the time, the person that's hurt you, they don't even know they hurt you. Sometimes they do. But they've moved on from it a long time ago. It's not like they're sitting around going, boy, Chris is mad at me. I feel terrible. <laughs> they're off living their life. I feel terrible because I'm holding on to it. And I'm giving them permission to live in my head. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I want to give you four things, the forgiveness checklist. Are you ready? Four things. First thing, start with you. Start with you. Look in the mirror. You have been forgiven much. If you were to sit down, and maybe this would be a good thing for you to do, sit down with a, a, a notebook or a piece of paper and make a list of everything that God has, has had to forgive you for. We are really good at forgive, forgetting these, right? We forget. Make a list. God has forgiven you for it's probably need more than a piece of paper. What has God forgiven you for? Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Seven times 70. Over and over and over. Forgive, let it go. You've done some bad things you got a list. God has forgiven you. Don't forget that. Second thing, understand the nature of biblical forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. If you're wrestling with this, I encourage you to go back and listen to this message several times until things are are solid in your soul, until you understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't. If you're not in a, a life group, I encourage you to live, get into a life group and do life with other people where you can talk these things through and where you can wrestle through your unforgiveness issues or your forgiveness issues and where you can get this concept deep into your, your bones. Third thing on the list, give it to God. Give it to God. The consequences, revenge, (laughs) revenge is mine. Give it to him. God will take care of it. He will take care of them. You don't have to. Like there's such freedom in realizing that whatever happens to them because of what they've done to you, God's got it. You don't have to carry it anymore. You You can take the pain. You can take... The offense, you can take all of it and say, God, I don't want to carry this anymore. You weren't designed to carry it. And Give it to God and say, I trust you. I trust you with what happens from here. Go get them. And hopefully it goes and gets them in a good way. It's a faith issue. And fourth thing on the checklist is this. Give grace and space for your feelings to catch up. It may take time. And just because you're not feeling it in a month from now, or a year from now, doesn't mean that your feelings aren't going to come along. They eventually will. And give God permission to change the way you feel. The Holy Spirit will work inside of you. I was deeply hurt by something that happened many, many years ago now. I mean, really hurt. And there was no resolution um, to the relationship because as much as it depended on me, there would have been, but the other person wasn't cooperating, and so it is what it is. And it took... It took probably a good two years of me every day going, God, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive because the the pain was that deep for the feelings to follow. I'm free from it. It doesn't doesn't affect me anymore, and the feelings will eventually follow. But if you don't choose to forgive and don't give it that time, those feelings will never follow. It's just like sweeping it under the rug, and it will just fester under there. Guys, Joseph, Joseph shows us what radical forgiveness looks like. And God calls us to live the same way. Because it brings blessing to our lives. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what our, our culture tells us we should do, right? And yet it is the recipe for peace that passes understanding for good relationships, for a healthy soul, and it is the wisdom of God. And so I challenge you, if you're not, to become a forgiving person, to offer forgiveness where it needs to be offered, and to live in that freedom, because, guys, we are a forgiven people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a forgiven person, and he calls us to be forgiving people. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for all the things that have been forgiven. Lord, the collective list of sins sitting in this room right now, it would be, uh, we'd be here for a long time if we tried to list them all. And yet, God, You have washed them away. You have turned Your attention from the things that we've done wrong to who You've created us to be and the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who have been carrying around deep wounds, who have been betrayed, who have been abused, who have been violated, who have been slandered, who have been stolen from and robbed. For those, Lord, who the thought of of forgiving and letting go feels overwhelming. God, I pray that you would give them a vision for their lives, free from all of that, that that would not be their change anymore. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Work in our hearts as we sing. God, as we worship you, would you speak to us, each and every one? Would you bring to mind the people that we need to forgive? And, God, I just pray that you would pour out freedom collectively and individually on this congregation this morning. So, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you show us how to live in a way that brings life and not get caught up in the traps of this world. Give us the courage to do so and the power of your presence, Lord to heal, and to live life as you've designed. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.